It's uh, Christmas time at Genesis. We love Christmas here. I'm excited about uh, the season itself. I'm excited about the series. Uh, we are starting today, and the series is just uh, entitled uh, My Story. Now, I know for some of you, uh, Christmas time, it's like your thing. Like, you love it. It's your favorite month of the year. You get to watch, like, Elf every night and not feel guilty and have all these crazy foods and get into decorations, and you just love it, and you listen to Christmas music nonstop. Uh, if that's you, blessings on you. Um, and I know that there's some people, like, Christmas time season just, it just drives you nuts. It's like too much. It's overwhelming. It's like I've got to spend money on people that I'm really not wanting to spend money on. And you just got a lot going on and you just feel this overwhelming sense of stress uh, as it relates to Christmas season. And if that's you, well, just blessings on you as well. Uh, for me, I love Christmas because uh, I love gifts. Um, I mean, giving gifts is pretty cool, but getting gifts is awesome. And so just being honest with you, I love getting gifts. And so uh, my wife and I have this thing that uh, every Christmas we say, hey, we're not going to do gifts this year because money's tight and blah, blah, blah. But every like Christmas morning, I wake up and I come downstairs and I'm like, maybe she broke the rule this year, like kind of secretly hoping that there's something under there. So I love getting gifts. Giving is great, but I'm just being honest with you. So I love Christmas season as well. Uh, I'm excited for this month. Uh, and again, whether this month makes you crazy, makes you smile, makes you however you feel, my heart for me, for you, for all of us is that we would not just survive the Christmas season and all of its chaos and parties and all of these things, uh, and just kind of get through it. Uh, my hope for you, really beginning today, is that this would be a really transformational season, uh, that you could look post-Christmas and say, you know what, it was great, it was fun, the giving gifts, getting gifts, it was great, some of the parties, some of the families, some of the friends, and all of those things, uh, but my hope would be that you'd get through this season and say, that was a transformational time that I just went through. Uh, the, a transformational time that I encountered. And my hope and my heart would be we'd get to the end of the season and say, you know what? I have a brand new story to tell. Uh, now, over the next few weeks, uh, three weeks to be exact, uh, I'm going to be using this language of story a lot because I love stories. And stories have a way of helping us understand life. Stories have a way of helping us understand not just kind of life around us, and stories have a way of helping us understand people and situations and circumstances, but they have a way of helping us to understand who we are. Uh, stories reveal something about us, uh, what we're made of, and, and who we really are. Stories have a way of bringing that out. Uh, in a great book Mike Cosper wrote uh, called The Stories We Tell, he said this, we tell stories to know who we are to understand ourselves and our place in the world. Stories help give us a sense of place, a way to understand our lives, our relationships, our past and future is all tied up in story. Uh, so stories are significant. They explain a lot. And a question I wanted to begin with this morning uh, was to ask you this. If your life is a story that's being told, uh, what kind of story are you telling with the life that you're living? If your life is a story, and it is, uh, it's a story that's ever unfolding, uh, what kind of story are you telling with the life that you are living? Now, I think uh, many of us, I know I did, when I was thinking through that question, I began thinking about, all right, well, what kind of, 
what story is my life telling? And I was thinking about like all the details. Uh, I was thinking about situations and circumstances and seasons uh, that I had gone through. And clearly, that's certainly a big part of a story. But what I would love to see, uh, all of us to see, is that our story is not really about the details and the circumstances and the situations uh, that we actually find ourselves in. Our story is so much bigger than that. Your story, your life is bigger than a detail. Your story is bigger than a situation or a circumstance that you have gone through. Uh, G.K. Chesterton, who is a very wise man, a very wise philosopher, rightly said, I had always felt life first as a story, and if there is a story, there is a storyteller. And so if our lives are stories that are being told, if you want to know your story and make sense of your story and have understanding and embrace it and enter into it fully, well, it's safe to say that you would have to know the storyteller. And when I say storyteller, I mean capital S storyteller. I'm talking about God. Now, one of the things that I'm convinced of is if you're here today, your story's not done. As long as you have air in your lungs and air to breathe, God is still unfolding a story in your life. Uh, and I hope that there is lots and lots of life left to be lived for all of us because I'm convinced that as long as I have breath, I'm convinced that the storyteller, meaning God, he is not done with my story. He's not done with your story. I believe he's got so much more of him that he wants you to see. I believe that God has so much more of him that he wants you to know about, to see, to hear, and to walk with so that you'll have new stories to tell. So my heart at the end of this season, uh, I want you to have an awesome Christmas season, but I hope it, you would say it's a transformational one because I now know the storyteller. I know God in a new way, in a fresh way, maybe for the first time or maybe renewed in a, a long time. Now, as I've been praying about Christmas at Genesis for months and about what we would be doing as a church and what series we would walk through, I had this overwhelming thought that God laid on my heart months back of, it was just simply this, knowing my story will redefine my story. And I know that's kind of weird grammar, English in the sentence here, but knowing my story, meaning this is God saying to us, if you would know my story, capital M, if we would know the story of God and who he is and what he's done and what he is doing, if we would know my story, capital M, it will completely redefine how you understand small m, your story, my story. I'm convinced that what people are looking for most in life is God. Now, I realize that most people don't walk around saying, I'm thinking about God and I want to know God, but what I am convinced of is that People want to know God. People go to incredible lengths to find meaning in life. People go to incredible lengths to find some semblance of joy or peace or comfort or hope or joy or satisfaction. There's not one person that I have met that says, I don't want any of that stuff. I want to be completely miserable. I want my story to be the worst story ever told. And so I'm convinced that what people want more than anything is to know the storyteller. Uh, in a great book I've been reading recently called Yawning at Tigers, uh, the author Drew Dyke says this, it's God we're after. Our soul finds satisfaction only in the God who is grand enough to worship and close enough to love. 
It is God we are after. Our souls find satisfaction only in the God who is grand enough to worship and close enough to love. So here's a question that uh, I want to ask this morning. How well do you know him? If it's God we're all after, if it's God that we all want, if it's God that we're all seeking or uh, searching for, seeking after, how well do you know him? And more, how is what you know of God impacting and actually influencing your story right now? Now, here's where I want to press in a little bit. It is, there, are, there is a tremendous difference in actually knowing about God and giving like the theologically correct answer. So if someone says, how well do you know God? And you could say, well, God is this. And you could ramble off all of these theologically astute and accurate statements about God and his character and what he's like. Okay, so we can do that. We can have knowledge of God, but my question is not can you pass a theological quiz about who God is and and what God is like and about his character. My question is how well do you know him? How well do you know God? Not know about God. How well do you know him? Because one of the things that I'm convinced of is those in scripture that knew him well, knew not of him, but actually walked with him. They lived lives that were very different. Uh, In another book uh, called Imagining the Kingdom, uh, the author James uh, Smith said it so well, and he's talking about our stories and how we understand ourselves in the midst of them. He said, our action emerges from how we imagine the world. What we do is driven by who we are, by the kind of person we have become, And that shaping of our character is, to a great extent, the effect of stories that have captivated us, that have sunk into our bones, stories that picture what we think life is about, what constitutes the good life. And I want you to hear this. We live into the stories we have absorbed. We become the characters in the drama that has captivated us. And I just, I love what he had to say here because it really got me thinking about, am I captivated by the story of God? Is what captivates me God and who God is and what God is like and what God has done? And not like theoretical knowledge of that, but experiential knowledge of actually, but this is who God is, and this is who I am experiencing God to be. As I said earlier, The the men and women in the story of God, the Bible, who knew God, knew not just about him, but they were captivated by him. And because they were captivated by him, they lived so differently. When I think about the people in the scripture, their lives changed to reflect what they knew of God. Consider Moses. For 40 years, he's hanging out in the desert doing his thing. He's being a shepherd, caring for his flocks, loving his wife, raising his family. But one interaction with a God who revealed himself to Moses, forever changed Moses. He became captivated with this God who showed himself to Moses, revealed himself, and then called Moses to something so much bigger than where he was. And the back half of Moses' life for the next 40 years is a result of a man who was captivated by the God who had revealed himself to him. When I think about the people who were captivated by God in Scripture, they took a stand for the God that they knew. The men and women in scripture who knew God, not knew about God, but knew God, they took a stand for God in a culture that was anti-God and worshiped thousands of gods. 
Think of the story of uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Nebuchadnezzar sets up this big idol and says, bow down, worship, or you'll die. And they said, all right, we ain't bowing down. Our God is big enough to save us, but even if he chooses not to save us, we're going to worship him, and we're not going to worship your fake, false, made-up God. Men and women who were captivated by God took a stand for God. Men and women who were captivated by God in Scripture, something amazing happened in their lives where the people who didn't know God, uh, they said, gosh, I look at your life, I look at what is happening in your story and the things that can only be explained because of the activity of God in your life. Your God must be God. Think of the prophets, Elijah, Isaiah, Jeremiah, any of the prophets, Daniel. There were so many times, so many experiences where they say, clearly your God must be God because of the, the activity of God in their life. People in scripture who were captivated by God. You know what they also had? They had this thing that they were discontent. Their captivation with God and his story and who he is and what he'd done and what's he's, what he's doing, it led them to incredible contentment. And even if their life was best summed up, their story was best summed up as one storm after another storm after another storm and then some more persecution, then some more suffering, these men and women who were captivated by God they just had incredible contentment and just, I have God and that's enough. Even if my life is horrific, even if my life looks on the outside as it's fallen apart, I know God and knowing God is, is all I actually need to know. So again, my question, how well do you know him? How well do you know God? Not know about him, but how well do you know him? Because my conviction is, and what I honestly have been praying about and just has been on my heart is I'm convinced if we know my story, and this is God saying to each of us, but this is my story. And if you know my story, if you know who I am, all that I've done, all that I am doing, we will be captivated by that. We will be captivated uh, by God and his story that he has invited us to live. Now, this morning, uh, and I want to do this very briefly, um, I want to walk through just a few verses in the beginning, uh, because in the beginning, uh, in Genesis chapter 1, we learn all there is to know about God, and it's absolutely amazing. If you just looked at the first few verses in Genesis, it is enough to captivate you for the rest of your life. Uh, and so what I want to do this morning is walk through just a few verses and share with you a few things that I learn about God as revealed to us in Genesis. So if you have a Bible, open up uh, to page one, uh, Genesis chapter one, and we're going to look at just a few verses. Now, again, I, I've said this, but my heart is not to explain everything that possibly could be explained in these verses. What I want to invite you to do, encourage you to do, even challenge you to do is really sit with these things. My heart for each of us this week is not that you'd walk out of here and be like, well, that was an uh, interesting message, and you walk away from it. I want to share some things with you about who God reveals himself to be to, to us, and then I really want you to wrestle with that today. I really want you to consider this tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday. Our minds and our hearts often get so captivated with lesser things, with lesser things, and what I want to invite you to do, whether it's maybe for the very first time or maybe for the 
thousandth time, consider who God is. And do you know him? Because this is the God who has revealed himself to us. And this is not all of God. I'm not saying that. But in these few verses, here's what we learn about God. And the first thing I'd want you to write down is, number one, God is before you. God is before you. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. Not in the beginning, you or me or us. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Let me just stop there. One verse, few words. If that's all you had, if that's all you knew about God was just from that one verse, what would you deduce God to be? What would you say that, well, this is who God is and this is what God is like? If I only had one verse, this verse would lead me to say, I'm captivated by this God already. On page one, verse one, I am already captivated by the God who reveals himself to us. Here's just three things. This is not exhaustive, but here's three things. Number one would be God's creator. God is creator. And if I know and I'm convinced that God is actually the one who is creator of all things, he reveals himself to us as creator, well, then there is a guarantee that comes with knowing God as creator, that there is purpose in everything he's created. There is meaning, there is significance in everything that he has created. That means you and I are not an accident. That means you can't ever look at your life and say, well, all of these things are random. If God is creator and he's created, and heaven and earth is kind of this junk drawer category of everything, anything and everything in heaven and earth has been created by God. And everything that God has created has great intentionality and has great purpose. And so I could never wrestle with my life and say, well, I've got no meaning, or I'm just an accident, or all these events in my life are just like random happenstance type of things. I can come back to Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created. The second thing I would learn about Genesis 1.1 is God is supreme. God is supreme or God is sovereign. God is greater than that which was created, and God created everything which makes him supreme over everything. There's nothing that God didn't create. When it says he created the heavens and the earth, that means everything within the heavens and the earth that have been created by God, God is supreme all of those things. There's nothing in the universe, our world, that can say, but I created God. And therefore, I'm supreme over God. No, God is supreme over everything because God has created everything, including you. So if you honestly want to get to know you, know your story, know who you are, well, you have one who has created you, and he is supreme over everything, including you. The third thing I would say, and this just stop with this one of Genesis 1.1, is God's eternal. God is eternal. In the beginning, God was already present. He has no beginning, which means he will have no end. God has always been and always will be. Always has been here. In the beginning was God. So before the beginning, God was still there. There was never a point in time where God was not. In the beginning, God, God precedes the beginning. 
Here's a mind-boggling thought. I wrote it down like this. The fact that God is eternal not only means that he is with us in the present, but he's already simultaneously in the future preparing the way. This should bring us both comfort and incredible confidence. That's, that messes with my head. Like, wow, that's incredible to know that I can walk every day knowing that God has already been there. He's already prepared the way. There's nothing that can happen to me tomorrow where God's like, oh my goodness, where did that come from? There's nothing in your life, in my life, in the world that would ever take God by surprise. Why? Well, he's eternal. In the beginning was God. He is creator, he is supreme, and he's eternal. I'm not going to talk much about this psalm because just write it down. It's a great psalm, Psalm uh, 90. Just read the whole thing. This is Moses wrestling with these things. He's wrestling with the vastness and the enormity of God. And when he catches a glimpse and he's, he's captivated by this, he realizes, gosh, what is my life? It's a breath. It's a mist. It's a vapor. And he prays, God, teach me to number my days in accordance with who you are. And in verse 2, and please read the, the whole psalm, but verse 2, Moses says, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever, you have formed uh, the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Moses was captivated by this God who was creator. He was supreme and he was eternal. You are God from everlasting to everlasting, and everything in between, you are God. So, in the beginning was God. He was before you, and he's before me. Now, I want to just ask a series of questions, and I think if we're honest, many of our, many, excuse me, many of our lives actually reflect that we are before God. Many of our lives, if we're just being honest, many of our lives do not reflect Genesis 1-1 and the truths that we learn that God is actually before us. Because many of us can go through our day and think, whether we say this out loud or not, but we think or we believe that God exists to make my day good, that God exists to make my purposes come to fruition, that God exists to make sure that all of my plans and my purposes are perfectly accomplished, and when I need something to make sure my dreams and my plans and my desires and my wants and my wishes are, we, we think that God exists to actually meet all of those needs, and it's I, God doesn't exist for me. I'm not before God. Rick Warren in his book slash devotional, Purpose Driven Life, said it well. You were made for God, not vice versa. You were made for God, not vice versa. And life is about letting God use you for his purposes, not you using him for your own purposes. If I'm going to understand my story, I have to understand my story, capital M, the story of God and who he is and how he has revealed himself in just one verse, that he is creator, that he is supreme in all things at all times, and he is absolutely eternal. So before I share with you what we learn in Genesis 2, 1 uh, verse 2, I ask you this question, who is first in your story? Who is first in your life? And again, here's where it gets hard. We know the right answer is to say, God's first. God is absolutely first. God is before me. I get that. I know that. But I really want us to just not say 
what we think the right answer is, I want us to really observe if we just spent time and looked into your story, how much of our day is spent thinking about us first? How much of our heart and mind and energy and effort goes to thinking about us and what we need and what we want rather than being captivated by, my goodness, God is creator over all things. There is incredible purpose and design and intentionality. That alone should captivate our minds every day. If we just lived with our eyes wide open to the world that he's allowed us to live in, it's absolutely mind-boggling. And it somewhat makes some of the things that I think about seem very petty. Now, I'm not diminishing anyone's hurt or pain or suffering, but how much of our day is spent thinking about us? And how much of our day is spent thinking about God? Because I'm convinced that those who are captivated by God and who he is and what he's done, your story will look so different. Many of our stories are very small because we think about ourselves first and foremost in our story. But if we are captivated by Genesis 1-1 and who God has revealed himself to be in our lives, our stories will begin to reflect ones who've been captivated by God who is creator, God who is supreme, and God who is eternal. Uh, that's just Genesis 1. Genesis 1 verse 2 teaches us, teaches me another amazing truth. The spirit of God is always active, even when you can't see it. The spirit of God, meaning God is always active, even when we can't see it. Listen to verse 2. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Formless and empty, the earth is empty, it's unproductive, it's uninhabited place. What does that one verse teach us about God? You know, honestly, if you looked at it from all outward appearances, creation is kind of a dud. If you just stopped at verse 1... It's like he created the heavens and the earth. But then you jump into verse 2, and it's like, huh, darkness, formlessness, a void? Like, there's nothing here. There's, there's nothing happening. There's, there's no life. There is, there's no beauty. But in the back half of verse 2, what do we see God doing? It says the Spirit of God is hovering over the surface of the waters. It's as if the Spirit of God is preparing a space where life is about to burst forth. In one short verse, what I see, what I learn about God, about the Spirit of God, is that He is preparing that which is formless, that which is empty. He's preparing that for life, and He's preparing that for beauty. Now, I might not always see the activity of God or the Spirit of God, hovering over my life or the lives of those around me or the situations and circumstances that I find myself in. But what I'm reminded by in verse 2 of Genesis 1 is the Spirit of God is always moving. The Spirit of God is active. He's hovering over that which is formless. He's hovering over that which is dark. He's hovering over that which has no form, no shape, no beauty. And he's preparing that space. There I say he's preparing a people to be born. 
to have life, to have beauty. R.C. Sproul said it really well. He is intangible and invisible, referring to the Spirit of God. He is intangible and invisible, but his work is more powerful than the most ferocious wind. The Spirit brings order out of chaos and beauty out of ugliness. He can transform a sin-blistered man into a paragon of virtue. The Spirit changes people. The author of life is also the transformer of life. I share this truth in particular with you, and what encourages me and challenges me and inspires me and convicts me is that the Spirit of God is at work in my life. And the Spirit of God, the fact that you're here today is evidence that the Spirit of God is at work in your life. That should captivate you. That thought alone, that the Spirit of God is at work in you, and that the Spirit of God wants to work through you, and that the Spirit of God wants to work around you, so that where there is formlessness and emptiness and chaos, and where there's no life, the Spirit of God is working in those places to bring beauty and life. That, to me, that thought alone, when I get discouraged and I'm like, man, it just doesn't seem like God's doing anything in my life. I'm I'm praying for my friends and my family that have no idea who God is, and I really want them to know who God is, and I want them to see how amazing God is, but yet they seem really indifferent. They could care less. Every time I bring it up, they're like, why do you keep talking to me about this? I don't care. Why do you keep inviting me to come to Genesis? I've already said no 15 times. I'm like, well, maybe the 16th time it will work. And I get frustrated. I'm like, gosh, God, where are you? I am reminded by Genesis 1, verse 2, that the Spirit of God is hovering, that the Spirit of God is active and He is moving. My story, capital M, reminds me, and God says, Michael, I am always at work. There is never a time when I'm not at work. That thought does not discourage me from the challenges or different things that I just shared with you, it reminds me and it inspires me. Michael, even if you think a situation is hopeless, that that person doesn't care, even where you think there's formlessness and darkness and ugliness, the Spirit of God reminds me, Michael, I took you when you were formless and I gave you shape. Michael, I took you when there was a dead soul and I awakened your soul to the amazing reality of God's amazing grace and love. And I am at work in the men and women and the people that are around you. That's Genesis 1, verse 2. Those two thoughts captivate me about who God is in verse 1 and what God is doing in verse 2. And then verse 3. Third thing I want you to write down, God's word, it brings life. God's word brings life. Verse 3. Genesis chapter 1, verse 3. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. Now, if you walk through the rest of Genesis 1 all the way through about 26, 27, no less than 10 times does it say, then God said. And here's the beauty. When God speaks, when he speaks and and his word is there, whatever God's word says, whatever God speaks, it happens. When God spoke the moon and the stars and the sun into existence, he spoke them into existence. There was no hesitation of like, no. I'm not going to do it. There was no hesitation in creation. When God said, let there be light, there's light. When God said, let there be this, there was this. When God said, let there be that, that happened. What I learn in Genesis 
chapter 1, verse 3, and then the remainder story is that God's voice, God's word, when he speaks, it brings life. There is power. There is authority. And here is my conviction as I was sitting with Genesis chapter 1, verse 3. My conviction is the same God who spoke in Genesis chapter 1 is the same God who's speaking to us today. His voice has not gotten any, any more quiet or something. He's not playing hide and seek with his voice and only allowing certain people to hear his voice and not others. God is still speaking. His word is still bringing forth life. The same God who spoke creation into existence is the same God that is speaking to you and I today. And so here's the question. What is God speaking? What is God saying to you? And I think one of the things that I've struggled with and I've encountered with a lot of other people is like, gosh, if I could just hear God speak and if I could just hear God say something, then I'd be able to do the next thing. Well, here's the beauty of scripture. God has already spoken enough that you have already enough to live for the rest of your life. There is nothing that God could speak that he, he's already spoken to us in his word. He speaks to us in creation. He speaks to us in his word. He speaks to us through his son. And we're waiting around as if we need a new revelation of something to happen for God to say, well, here's now what I want. He's already given us enough and spoken to us enough that we have a whole life to live, living out what God has spoken to us. And so I would just ask you the question, what is God speaking to you? What is he saying to you? And why this is a really important question is, if you don't know what that is, or you're not listening for that, it's a good chance you, your heart will be hardened to the very things that God is speaking to you about. One of my, and I take God's voice very seriously. When God speaks, I want to honor that. I want to be obedient to that because my fear, and I've been down this road before, is if I don't listen to what God is saying to me, if I'm not paying attention to what God has told me or instructed me in his word, you know what happens? My heart gets hard and my ears get a little deaf and it gets harder and harder and harder to hear the voice of God. Why? Well, because I've neglected the voice of God. I haven't stewarded the voice of God well. Hebrews chapter 3 says it well, and author of Hebrews is quoting the psalmist in 95. Remember what it says. Today, when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as Israel did when they rebelled. Again, Genesis 1-3, I am captivated that God spoke exist, uh, creation into existence. That when God speaks, it happens. And it leads me to say, God, what are you saying? Give me ears to hear. Help me hear, God, what you're saying. Give me courage and give me grace to actually do those things. So if God is calling you to do something, are you doing that? If God is calling you to walk away from something, to walk into something new or different, are you doing that? Are you paying attention to the voice of God in your life? Three things that captivate me about God. He's before me. He is creator. He is supreme. He's eternal. God, it's captivating my, my thoughts, my heart, that he's always active. There's never a time when he's not. And it's captivating to me that his word, his voice, has so much authority and power, and it brings life. And then the last thing I'd share with you in closing, write it down like this. God created you to be like him. That is amazing to me. 
God created me and you to be like him. You and I, we bear his image. The back end of Genesis chapter 1, it says this. Then God said, and this is after all has been created. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. So God, verse 27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God saw, verse 31, that everything he made, and behold, it was very good. You know what sets you apart from all things in creation is that you bear the image of God. Every single one of you here today is an image bearer of God, whether you like it or not. You and I bear the very image. There's not one person that does not bear the image of God, which means all human life, born or unborn, bears the image of God. And because of that, your value, your significance, your dignity, your worth comes from not what you do or the image you try to create for yourself, your your value, significance, dignity, and worth comes from the image that God has already given you. Too many people will spend their story, their life trying to create or cultivate an image that will impress people. Too many of us try to form an image where other people will look and be impressed and enamored and awe. But God says, but I've already given you an image. And you've been shaped and fashioned and formed in my image. Your dignity comes from that. Your worth, your value, your significance, it all comes from that. Now, to be clear, when it says we bear his image, it doesn't mean we are gods. But what it does mean is that there are certain things in which we can mirror God. We can reflect God. Now, no one here is omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent. Those are attributes of God reserved for God. But generous? Do you know that every time you are generous, every time you say, you know what, I want to give. I want to give to support the Woburn Food Pantries. And I don't want to give 20. I want to give 200. Do you know every time that you are generous with the resources that are God's anyways, but he's get, every time you are generous with your money, with your time, with maybe gifts that he's given you that you are sharing with, every time you are generous, you are bearing, reflecting well what God is like, because God is generous. But every time we say, no, I don't want to give to that. That's silly. It's a food pantry. I don't want to give to help support a church or a missionary or whatever it might be. I don't want to give of my time. I'm already busy. I don't want to give of my talent. That's every time we say no to being generous, we're not reflecting the God in whose image we've been created. You know, every time you look at someone and say, I forgive you, you are reflecting so well the image in who you've been created. Every time you say, I forgive you, you've hurt me, but I forgive you. Every time we give grace to someone and we say, I choose to forgive, you are reflecting so well what God is like because God is forgiving and he says, I've forgiven you. And when we forgive one another for whatever it is, you are reflecting so well the image that God has given you. But every time we say, no way, every time we say, forget it, I am not forgiving you, and we allow our hearts to be filled with just anger and bitterness and frustration and we're not reflecting the image that we bear. We're marring that image. Do you know every time you just tell someone I love you, 
You know, every time you just look at someone who might be unlovely to other people and you just say, I just want you to know I love you. And you express a care, a concern, a compassion, a love, a tangible expression of love. You are mirroring, you are reflecting the image of God that you bear. But every time you refuse and say, I'm not going to love you, you've hurt me. I'm not going to love you because I'm not going to get anything out of that. I'm not going to love you because it's too costly. It's too sacrificial. I don't want to do that. You're marring the very image that you and I have been given. What captivates me about this, it's amazing to me that nothing else in all of God's creation was created in his image. But he says of me, Michael Davis, you bear my image. And he says to you, you bear my image. So what excites me as I live out my stories, I have the opportunity, no matter where I am or who I'm with or what I'm doing, to bear his image well. Every day I have the opportunity to be forgiving or generous or kind or caring, compassionate or loving. Every day I have the opportunity to enter into a story that I could never have written for myself because I bear the very image of God on my life. What is captivating you? What captivates us is what we will give ourselves to. And my fear is that many of us give, we're captivated by lesser things. We're captivated by things that feel good or entertain us for a moment, and then it just passes. But as I sit with Genesis 1, I'm captivated by the God that has revealed himself to us just in one chapter. I get excited to read Genesis 2, all the way through Revelation. What more do we get to learn and see? And we're going to learn that this month. But what is captivating you today? How well do you know him today? Not know about him, not passing a theological quiz and can check it off of you said the right things, but how well do you know him? And is what you know of my story, I don't mean me, I don't mean you, is what you know of my, capital N, storytelling God, how is it impacting and influencing your story?